been studying the Beatitudes, and I'd like to get a little help tonight from you. Uh, what I'd like to do is enlist some readers. You got access there to a King James Bible? That one? Who, who wants to help read a few verses? I'll, they'll be scattered out, so I'll call on you as we go through. But how many would be willing to read a few verses? Okay, Brother Rod, who else? Oh, he's pointing to D. He's volunteering his wife. Brave man there. Okay, he'll, he'll read some. Uh, who else help me out? Surely we got somebody else to read, read a few verses. Dustin, was your wife volunteering you? Boy, these married couples, I'm telling you, they just love each other to pieces. They volunteer each other to do the work. Yeah. All right, well, I'll call on you a little bit later, and, uh, and we'll cover some verses. We're going to talk about the persecution principle. The persecution principle in our text, we've been going through chapter 5, the Beatitudes, which is the introductory part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we have a series of blessed is, and then the Lord tells us who's blessed. And blessed are the persecuted tonight. That seems kind of like paradox, irony. What is that? Uh, you're blessed if you're persecuted. It's kind of like blessed if you get hurt. Well, let's read about it and see. In chapter 5 of Matthew, verse number 10, 11, and 12. Let's read that. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my, name, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Father, I pray that you'd bless us tonight as we study your precious word. Lord, we believe it. Sometimes we don't understand it, but we believe it. And Lord, if you'd just send the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts as we go through these verses, Lord, and other verses that we'll look at, help us to understand it. And Lord, help us to be able to receive it and to rejoice because of those things that happen sometimes and we're not even looking forward to them happening. Lord, bless us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll delve into this profound message uh, of being blessed for being persecuted. And people who are saved do face persecution. Didn't the Lord Jesus face persecution? He himself. And his disciples did. And, and uh, later on, they had more converts. And they were persecuted. And so let's begin by looking at this, by trying to understand what persecution means in this context. In verse number 10, let me read that one verse again. Matthew 5, 10 says, Blessed are they, or happy, joyful, content, pleasant are they. They're receiving something from God to enrich their soul. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution for righteousness is a mark of identifying with Christ. If you let it clearly be known that you belong to Christ, you might be a target. And when you let it be known, and that's why we have baptism, one of the reasons we have baptism, that does 
signify the death, burial, and resurrection. When you go down in the water, that signifies or, or symbolizes the death and burial of Jesus. And when you come up out of the water, you symbolize with his resurrection. And so it is a symbolic ceremony, an ordinance, and it is also an identification factor. When you come up out of the water, you're saying, Hey, I believe just like the rest of you do. I believe the Bible. I believe in Christ. He's my Savior. I, I have the same God you do. And so you identify with each other, but mainly you're identifying with Christ. By his death, burial, and resurrection, you're saying, I belong to him. And so somebody, who, who said they'd read tonight? Brother Paul, you got this one. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy 3, 12. And then, uh, Rod, how about you read John 15, 18. Now I need one more to read 1 John 3, 13. Who'd do that? 1 John 3, 13. Who's got it? Brother Chad. All right. So first we'll read 2 Timothy 3, 12. Now keep in mind, while we're reading these verses, we're trying to, we're trying to see these verses as they connect to the context of our message tonight from blessed are the persecuted. So, 2 Timothy 3.12, Brother Paul. Okay, so let's, let's dissect that verse just a little bit. Yea, and all, if you mark in your Bible, you can take a pencil there, a pen, and underline that little word all. He says all. Does that mean every Christian? No, all of what? All that will live godly in Christ Jesus. So if you live a godly life, all that live a godly life says you're going to suffer persecution. Say, oh boy, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Nobody. Yet, the Bible says, blessed are you. Now, John 15, 18. See, when you identify with Christ, was he hated? Did the Pharisees hate him? Did they try to set traps for him all the time? Did they try to trip him up by giving him a scenario of, of uh, what, what would you do about this woman taking adultery? Or what would you do about this? They're always trying to trap him. And so they hated him. And Jesus is saying, since you've identified with me, then you might as well expect that they're going to hate you because they hate me. Now, nobody looks forward to being hated, do they? I don't. You don't. And yet, if we identify with Christ, that's our lot, to be hated by some people. There, there are atheists who will hate you. There are evolutionists who will hate you. There, will people, there are people who will live in ungodly circumstances, and because you live the life of a Christian, they're going to hate you because you bring... You bring conviction on them because you're living right and they're not. And you don't even have to say anything. You just go to church and live like the Lord wants you to live. And, and there's some people that's going to hate you because of it. They'll hate to see your car pull out of the driveway on Sunday morning. Ah, a bunch of hypocrites going to church again. <laughs> Ain't nothing down there but a cult. They'll say stuff like that because they hate you. Because you have identified with Christ. Now, 1 John 3.13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Marvel not. 
What does that mean? Marvel not. Don't be surprised. Don't be, uh, don't be trying to figure this out. Why are they hating me? I'm a Christian. I thought everybody loved me. No need to marvel. Uh, they're going to hate you. That's just the way it is. Romans 8, 17 says, And if, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So we're joint heirs with Christ. And then he says, If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also uh, be also glorified together. So we're identified with Christ. And so since we're identified with him, we're going to suffer with him. Persecution usually carries a, a measure of suffering with it. It may be mental anguish. It may be physical anguish. I know a, uh, I read the story about the guy that was in, uh, I don't remember, Army, Marines, some, some branch of the service, and they're in boot camp, and this one guy was a faithful Christian, and he'd kneel by his bed and pray every night before he'd go to bed. And uh, one of the other guys in the same barracks hated him because he was a Christian. And so the, the guy that hated him, while the Christian had his head bowed, being, he was in prayer, the guy that hated him picked up a boot and slung it across there and hit him right in the head, knocked him down. Well, the guy knew who did it. He didn't say a word. He got up and went to bed, and everybody went to bed. And during the night, sometime during the night, the Christian sneaked over to that guy's footlocker and got his boots and polished them for him. So well, that don't sound right. Should have, should have knocked him out, man. <laughs> no. What did Christ say about turning the other cheek? Well, he wanted them to know that he had a different spirit about him. When you take a stand for right, you're more likely to be persecuted. Uh, at our church, first church where my wife and I went, uh, years and years ago, uh, we, uh, we started a Christian school, and the, the public school there in that little town was kind of the golden calf. Everybody was zeroed in on, that, on the uh, public school because that's where all their kids went. Everybody had a great allegiance to that public school. When we started a Christian school, they hated us at our church because we had a Christian school and that was in competition to the public school. And they thought, they called us cult. They called us all kinds of names. Unwarranted. They didn't even know what we taught. Um, we had written on one of our little vans, we had a van route, and on the van uh, the kids selected a name. The preacher let the kids uh, have a contest to name the van, and, and they named it Highway to Heaven. Well, people in the community said, ah, Highway to Heaven. See, they think they're the only way to heaven. You can't go to heaven unless you go to that church. Well, they talked pretty bad about us, and they started doing things. You know, We had a, a teen group that cut down a bunch of cedar trees to sell them for Christmas trees. That's back when they used real trees before we had Lowe's and Walmart and all that. <laughs> and and we had a bunch of Christmas trees the teens were selling to raise money. And all the trees that weren't sold were left over and they were piled up there beside the church building. And I guess they got neglected for a while. You know what a cedar tree does when it gets dried out after it's been cut down, it gets dry and boy you strike a match to it and it'll, whoo, it'll go up like that. Well they uh, those who hated our church came up and set that brush pile on fire, almost burned our building down. And it's because they hated us. And then they started letting the air out of our tires. We had some big yellow school buses that we ran on our bus routes, and they started, they'd slip, slip up there at night and let the air out of our buses. So we'd go up there on Sunday morning 
uh, to go out and run our bus routes, and there's the f- buses all got flat tires on them. <laughs> and they did that because they, they hated us. A little bit of persecution, not, not painful, but annoying. Well, the preacher was going out of town one, one weekend to preach somewhere else, and, and uh, he said, Rick, you'll need to, you'll need to check on those buses uh, pretty early in the morning, make sure they got air in the tires. They've been letting them down every Saturday night. And so after he was gone, I got to thinking, well, I, I don't want to have to get up early and go out there and air all those tires up. I'll just prevent it. And so I got my 12-gauge automatic shotgun, <laughs> and I loaded up, and I drove up there and hid my car and got inside the church, locked the door, locked myself in so I could see out through the glass doors. And I stayed there pretty late. And I never saw a soul out there. And I thought, well, I guess we, uh, I guess we bit the bullet this time. We got by with it. And so I might as well go home and get some sleep. And so I opened the door, and as I went out, I heard And I could hear air. I'm looking at those different buses, and I couldn't see anybody, but I could hear the air coming out of the tires. And so I'm standing there on the front porch with my shotgun. I said, hey, what's going on out there? And then two guys stood up and looked over the hood of the bus. They were on the back side. And they saw, when they saw I was there, man, they took off running. We had a gravel parking lot. And they're running down that parking lot, man. You can, you can hear them trying to get away. And they ran under a big oak tree to get on the street to head back down towards town. When they got under that oak tree, I shot up through the oak tree. Kaboom! Man, it knocked limbs down. They're falling everywhere. And you could hear those guys, man, they're picking up speed. <laughs> they're going faster and faster and faster. Well, I'm not sure that was the proper Christian response that I pulled. But, but I'm just saying they hated us because we were Christians. We hadn't hurt anybody, but they didn't like it because we brought conviction to them. Well, you're going to be persecuted just for no reason except that you identify with the Lord. Now notice something else is real important about this, and I'll get somebody to read another uh, passage of Scripture. I'll make a comment first. Somebody, who wants to read 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14? 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14. Who'll do that? Don't everybody volunteer at once. Brother Rod's got it. You're a good man, Brother Rod. I'm giving you a raise. Notice in verse 14 it says, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake. Not every kind of persecution is the blessed persecution that it's talking about here in our text, our main text that we're on tonight. Persecution doesn't stem from wrongdoing, but from righteousness that's associated with Christ. Standing firm for righteousness will bring persecution. Why, why is that important? Well, it's in our text. First, back, if we back up, and he says, in verse number 11 in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake. So it's not a blessed persecution if something happens to you and it wasn't because you were doing something for the Lord. What, what are we saying? What we're saying is sometimes people get persecuted because they're doing wrong. And that's what he's saying in, in, uh, in some of the other texts that we could read that, that you're, not, you're not blessed or persecuted and blessed because you, did, you got persecuted because you did something wrong. I mean, it'd be like 
going down, I go down and rob the bank, hand her over, and I give me a big satchel of money, and I'm going out. And, and along comes a police officer and arrests me for robbing the bank. And I say, well, he's just picking on me because I'm a Christian. What? <laughs> no, no. You don't, get, you don't get a free pass because you're a Christian. If you're doing wrong and you get what you think is persecuted, and a lot of times we, get, we say we're being persecuted, they're just picking on me because I'm a Christian. And really what we're doing a lot of times is acting like we're looking for sympathy or making an excuse. And so persecution doesn't count for blessedness if we're doing wrong and bring something on ourselves. Uh, for, I guess you can say for folly. If we commit folly, if we're doing something dumb and we, and we bring something on ourselves, that's not being blessed. In fact, it might be chastisement from God, Hebrews chapter 12. He, he chastises us for doing wrong, Christians. And sometimes I, I've known of Christians who were very fanatical in some of their beliefs and it was way outside the bounds of Scripture and maybe they're going by some kind of tradition or something and, and they do things, they make rules that's not in the Bible and, and somebody bucks up against their rules and, they, and the guy who made the rules said, well, they just can't take good preaching or they just, they just don't believe the Bible or you know, they're picking on me because I'm a Christian. No, they're picking on you because you're dumb. Uh, fanaticism and folly if we get something bad happen to us because of that we brought that on ourselves that wasn't persecution for righteousness sake uh, politics <laughs> you know mention politics around here well <clears throat> John the Baptist was involved, involved in it sometimes so was Jesus and a few other disciples uh, like Elijah <laughs> uh, in the uh, Old Testament Politics happens, and regardless of which branch of politics you particularly like or follow, you know, just because your guy gets picked on doesn't mean that it's for righteousness' sake. It could be just because they're political enemies. And it could be because they do some dumb things. What, people in politics do dumb things? <laughs> you never noticed that, have you? Oh, yeah. Um, now let's talk about a second thing. The blessedness that comes with perse persecution, the blessedness itself. Uh, let's read in Matthew again, chapter 5, verse uh, 11 and 12. Let's read those again. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my, for my sake. Uh, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now watch this. For great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So there is a blessedness associated with being persecuted for righteousness sake. If you identify with Christ and you take a firm stand. Um, I was elected to school board one time. And in that same town I was talking about a little while ago, and my kids were in a Christian school later. I, I wasn't saved when I got elected to the school board, and everybody loved me then. But after I got saved and put my kids in a Christian school, then they, they all hated me in the community. And, but I was still, there were five of us uh, elected officials on the, on the public school board. And the other guys and, uh, on the school board and people in the community wanted me to resign. They said, man, you can't be on the school board. You got your kids in a Christian school. I said, well, where is it written that 
says, I can't be. Well, it just ain't right. I said, well, why? Well, you know, it's just not right. Well, I said, in other words, before I put my kids in a Christian school, I was interested in the school and I was interested in what happened to the kids and interested in the community. Uh, but now that I don't have my kids in there, I can just say the rest of the community can go to hell now. I don't care about them. Well, I didn't want to see those kids go to hell, and so I took a stand uh, in our school board meetings when, when they would want to do things that I thought were ungodly, uh, making decisions for the school. And boy, back then, <laughs> it wasn't a fourth of what it is now. I would probably get hung if I was on the school board now because when they, some of the books they have those little kids to read in, in their classes now, pornography and awful pictures and descriptions of, of awful things that kids shouldn't even be exposed to ever. And, I mean, I'd probably get killed. But back then it wasn't that bad, but there was plenty of bad stuff. And not, when we'd come up for a vote, I would vote against the other four guys on the school board. I was usually standing alone. And so I had to take a stand on my Christian beliefs or side in with them and just go along with whatever they wanted. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to stand for the Lord, I might as well stand for the Lord. And I wasn't appreciated for it, but I did it. And I finally, the only, I stayed on it until uh, the Lord called me. I'd already been called to preach, but the Lord uh, called me to go to Bible college. And when I moved away to another state to go to Bible college, then I had to resign to move out of state. But otherwise, I would have stayed on the school board uh, and just suffered the persecution. You know, I got cussed at and talked badly about. But that's part of taking a stand. You do understand, don't you, that being a Christian means more than just being a fit, dead fish floating down the river? Huh? That being a Christian means a lot of times you're going to be swimming upstream against everything else. If, if you're not standing for anything, they say you'll fall for everything. And so a Christian is supposed to take a stand. I'm not talking about being cantankerous, mean-spirited at all. What I'm talking about is just taking a stand and being firm with it. You can have a sweet spirit and still take a strong stand. And I think that's what the Lord Jesus did, and he was hated for it. But we're to be like him. It says in Acts 5.41, and I'm going to give you the context of this. Um, in Acts, Acts 5.41 and the verses preceding it, a bunch of verses preceding it, in Acts some of the disciples, Peter and some of the other disciples, after the resurrection of the Lord, they had gone about preaching. Man, these, these guys got filled with the Holy Ghost of God, and they're going around, they're preaching up a storm. These are the same guys that were cowards at the crucifixion and now ran and hid. But after, after they saw the resurrected Jesus, they said, man, this is real. And so they began to preach, and, and man, they were just carrying on and preaching everywhere they went, trying to get people converted, and they were turning the world upside down. Well, the Pharisees didn't like that, but these disciples that had run and hid during the crucifixion, now they're bold as a lion because they got the Holy Spirit. And so they get arrested for preaching. Uh, they've been preaching over the temple, and they get put in jail. Well... Along comes an angel. You know how angels are always doing this. Along come an angel and, and broke them out of jail. <laughs> and, and so they're in the middle of the night, they're, they're out. And next morning, early, they're out there at the temple preaching again. And the Pharisees hear about it. They get a report. Those same men, uh, they're not in prison. They're over there at the temple preaching. Saying, how, the ruler said, how did that happen? We don't know. We locked them up. The guards are standing in front of the door. 
They didn't see anything, but when they looked the next morning, they're gone. Now we hear they're over there preaching again. He said, go get them, bring them in here. And so the guards went over and arrested them again. They had to be a little bit more discreet about it this time because there's a whole bunch of people that's liking that preaching. And so it says that the guards, for fear that they'd be stoned by the people, kind of acted delicately, and they brought those guys back to the rulers and Pharisees. And the Pharisees said, the men, we told you, don't be preaching. Peter said, this is one that denied Jesus at the crucifixion. Now here he is filled with the Holy Spirit. The ruler said, we told you not to be preaching. Peter says, we ought to obey God rather than men. <laughs> hey, would, would to God we had a bunch of Christians today that, that just say, I don't care, you know. I'll obey the law as far as it goes till it disobeys the scriptures and then I'm going to disobey the law in order to obey the scriptures. That doesn't give us a reason to go out and break the law. I mean, if you're speeding down the highway, you know, if there's a 50 mile an hour speed zone, you know, you can't break the speed zone and get by with it just because you think that's against the scriptures. I don't think the Bible addresses that. <laughs> but I'm saying if they, if they pass a law that says we can't preach, guess what we're going to do? We're just going to go ahead and preach. If they pass a law that says you can't tell anybody about Jesus, guess what we're going to do? We're just going to go ahead and tell people about Jesus anyway. If they say you can't pass out tracts anymore, it's against the law. Guess what we're going to do? <laughs> we're all going to fill up our pockets and go out, right? You got some of these in your pocket, in your purse? Make sure you got some of those because they might pass the law one of these days. Now you can pass them out without fear of, of being prosecuted and persecuted unless you go on private property and then you can get run off. <laughs> but... But as far as we know, it's still legal to go in public places and hand out gospel tracts. And, and uh, so these guys, they're, they're preaching the word. And, and, the, and the Bible says that they were beaten. These rulers said, no, men, we told you now. We're telling you the second time. You can't be preaching about Jesus anymore. It says, and then they beat them and released them again. And that's where we pick up in Acts 5.41. And they departed from the, presence, from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You know what they said? They walked away after getting the daylights beat out of them. I mean, them, them whoopings they did to those guys, that wasn't just a little spanking. I mean, this was severe beating. And they, walk, they walked away with bleeding backs and they're rejoicing. Saying, guess what? We're going to go and preach again. <laughs> we think, we think it's, a, it's a blessing to be saved by the blood of Christ. And it's a blessing to tell others that they can be saved too. And it's a blessing that we suffer just like Jesus did. We're not better than him. Where we ever got the idea that we shouldn't be persecuted, do you? I mean, if Jesus was persecuted, are we better than him? I think not. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, maybe you've read it. If you hadn't, you ought to, you ought to get one, a copy of it. Fox's Book, Book of Martyrs tells us how many of the, of the saints of God back in centuries past, how many have stood for Christ, and I mean they stood and suffered, were tortured and killed. William Tyndale, for one, this was before the King James Bible was ever printed. He the Roman Catholic Church had denied people 
access to the Word of God. I mean, it came through all of the dark ages with no Bible for the common people. Only the Pope and the priests had the Word of God, and they didn't want anybody else to have it. They didn't want common people to have it because they got to be the ones to interpret it, and they tell you what it means. And you couldn't read it to see if they were telling you a lie or not. William Tyndale wanted to publish a Bible in English so that the common people could read it because it had been mostly in Latin in Europe before. Well, for his studies, they began to persecute him and chase him. The government's after him. The Roman Catholic Church is after him. Uh, political leaders are after him. And he has to flee to other places, other cities and hide out so he can finish the work on translating his version of the Bible. Eventually, they, he gets the Bible finished and they catch up with him and he's brought to justice. Now he, here's a man that believes on Christ and he wants to get the Word of God in people's hands. You know what they did to him? They strangled him to death and then burned him at the stake. He wasn't willing. There was a woman by, in North Africa by the name of, uh, of uh, Perpetua, I think was her name. And <clears throat> she had small children. And in the part of the world where she lived, the hostile religions, they were very hostile to Christianity. And they were forcing people to renounce their ties to Christ and to join their religion. And she refused, even though she had little babies. And she was, I mean, like a mother would be, she was concerned for her family. But they came and took her away because she would not renounce her faith in Christ. You know what they did with her? They took her down to the arena with some other Christians who would not renounce their faith. And because they stood for right, they threw them in the arena with wild beasts and they tore their bodies to shreds. They died rather than renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we're, we're talking about some severe persecution. And if we go out and knock on somebody's door to talk to them about Jesus and they, and they say, no, I'm not interested and shut the door in our face, we think we've been persecuted. Oh, really? Persecution leads to great reward in heaven. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Look, there is a certain blessedness that comes to the believer who takes a stand for right and will not back down. He won't back away from stating and standing his faith and there's a certain blessedness, a peace, a contentment that comes to us in this life but one day when he comes back and he will come back friend, he is coming back and when he comes back, when we stand in his presence, when we stand in his heaven, when we're in his kingdom there is a greater blessing than we would have ever realized that's coming to us if we stand for right and don't back down. How we respond to persecution is very important as well. This, in Matthew chapter 12, I'm sorry, Matthew 5, 12 in our text, he says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
you can rejoice amidst persecution because it aligns us with the prophets of old. Man, I've, I've looked on the little prophets like Elijah. I think, man, those guys, they had a backbone of steel. Man, they must have really walked with God. Those men had something that not available to us now in the New Testament age. Oh, I think it could be. If we are persecuted because of our stand for Christ, it identifies us not only with Christ, but for those Old Testament prophets who were persecuted. When Elijah stood for right, he, he, had, he had the gall to tell the king that he was living in sin. He had the gall to tell uh, his wife that they were sinners. He had the gall to say that all of the, the heartaches that had been brought, brought upon Israel were caused by, by their idol worship. I mean, old Elijah, he's preaching against those idols. And he has to hide out so he can do his preaching. And while he's hiding out, then he eventually, uh, he tells uh, Ahab and, and Jezebel, <clears throat> God's going to, I'm going to call for God just to stop all the rain over the whole kingdom. Calling for a drought. And God grants it. And so it doesn't rain for a long, long time. <laughs> We're talking about months and years. And then finally Elijah says, you know, we need, to, we need to find out who the real God is. And so they show up on Mount Carmel. I've got to stand there in Israel one time. They got a statue up there of, of old uh, Elijah with a sword in his hand where he beheaded the 400 prophets of Baal. And uh, so he called a big meeting up there and they, they, have, they build an altar and cover it with wood and dig a trench around it and fill it with water and put sacrifices on there. The idol worshipers, they beg and plead with their God and they cut themselves with stones and they beg for their false gods to, to uh, come down and sac burn up those sacrifices. But of course their God couldn't. Elijah's standing over there mocking them while they're falling down and acting like fools. Elijah said, hey, you better call a little louder. I don't think your God can hear very good. <laughs> Ah, he's mocking them and mocking them. And, and finally, when they give up, getting close to evening time, Elijah said, okay, boys, we're going to find out who the real God is. And he prays a little short prayer. He said, God, I pray, I pray you just come down and devour this whole mess. And he prays and the fire from heaven falls. Man, it's, it devours those sacrifices, the wood. It even goes and licks up the water out of the ditch. I mean, you talk about calling down the fire from heaven. He did. And then Jezebel said, you know, I don't like it because you did that to my prophets. And she chased him for miles and miles, or he, at least he thought she was chasing him. And he ran from her. He was persecuted. But I think of people like that in the Old Testament that stood for God. And I said, like, why, why don't we stand for God? And they risked their lives to stand for God. And so if we, if we get persecuted a little bit we're in good company amen in good company and then we're supposed to maintain a Christ-like attitude even in persecution when we're persecuted we're to have a right spirit sometimes we get bitter and we kind of lose our testimony 1 Peter 2.21 listen to this 1 Peter 2.21 for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 
who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. As followers of Christ, we'll be persecuted, but we shouldn't get bitter and lose our testimony. We're to be like him. There is a cost to following Christ. Now, salvation is free, but there is a cost to follow him and stand for righteousness. And that cost is persecution. I'll end with this story. During the China's Boxer Rebellion back in, I think it's 1900, uh, insurgents captured a mission station and they blocked all the gates but one. And in front of that gate, they put a cross right on the ground that nearly covered up all the ground between the posts of the gate. There were a hundred of them in that mission compound and they said, if you'll renounce your faith in Christ, step on that cross, grind it under your feet, and walk on through the gate, you can go free and live. The first seven girls were terrified and they stopped and wiped their feet on the cross and stomped on it and walked out and they lived and got away free. The next little girl came by but instead of stepping on that cross she knelt down beside of it and began to pray and she moved around it carefully till she could avoid stepping on it and went out the gate. The next 90-something girls, children and workers, all followed that little girl's example. They stopped and prayed, walked around the cross without touching it with their feet, and they all went out to face a firing squad. There are people that have suffered greatly for standing for righteousness. And I'm just saying, according to the Scripture, we're going to, if we're going to live righteously, if we're going to take a stand, sometimes, sometimes you have to tell people straight up what's right and wrong. You've got to tell your kids the difference between right and wrong. And sometimes you've got to take a stand and you'll stand alone. But you've got to stand if you're going to be a Christian. Now you'll be persecuted for it. There's been times in our church where we've had to take a stand about things. And it cost us. It's cost us church members. I guess we'd be running that thousand by now if, if we hadn't uh, took a stand for righteousness along the way. But there's, there's some things that's worth standing on. Now, not every hill is worth dying on. But if it's a scriptural principle, we ought to stand on it. We ought to stand for Christ. We ought not fuss over the little things, but we ought to be willing to stand for Christ, stand for righteousness. But expect that it's going to cost you something that somebody might hate you for it. And somebody might cuss you or stop being friends with you. But when you make a decision to live for right, it will cost you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, help us to be rigid of backbone like Elijah and some of the Old Testament prophets. Lord, help us to realize that we're an example of, of Christ when we stand for right 
and we don't revile back. Lord, help us to be the kind of Christians that are willing to pay the, cross, pay the price to follow the cross. I pray that you'd bless us tonight. 